You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey all, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors of the Village Church and the one that gets to do this more often than not. So thanks for hanging out with me today in my attic. So uh, legend has it that the 1972 Miami Dolphins open a bottle of champagne and, and toast year after year after year. The 1972 Miami Dolphins were the only team in the history of the NFL, that's football for those of you who don't know, to, to have an undefeated season all the way through to the Super Bowl. And, and so, as the legend goes, they, at the beginning of the season, each of them, the remaining players and coaches and, and personnel that were involved, they buy a bottle of champagne and they keep it nearby. And, and as each team slowly succumbs to their first loss, um, they, uh, they, they get excited in, in, in celebration. And when that last team finally loses their first game, they, they toast and they, they cheers um, to celebrate and to remember the greatness of their uh, standalone, undefeated season. You, you imagine they do that to celebrate the players and, and, and the moments and the accomplishment that they did as a team and that they, that they might uh, even get out the rings as they uh, cheers and as they toast and as they celebrate. And you would imagine the, the kids and grandkids saying, hey, hey, Papa, you know, why do you why do you drink champagne when well let me tell you uh, in 1972 Papal was part of a team that you know and and just an opportunity to celebrate and remember what happened the truth of the matter is when we forget we drift imagine if there were no holidays no uh, celebrations no memorials that you could go to and and tell the story of, if there were no rhythms of remembrance, then, then history and, and purpose and meaning would fade. Humans, every single one of us, we suffer from, from a terrible problem. And that problem is called forgetfulness. Now, maybe that comes from arrogance and us not really caring about generations gone by or, or things gone by or or maybe it comes from just being inexperienced to know better. Uh, or maybe we just get distracted and, and we, we forget. It's one thing to forget an undefeated NFL season. And it's another to forget things foundational to life. To fail to celebrate is to forget. But we get to set our days and our calendars and our traditions and, and our hearts to remember the things that matter most. And none of this is lost on God. In fact, God tells his people throughout all of the scriptures in many different ways. He says, celebrate, make memorial, party, feast, you know, uh, make a scrapbook so that you might remember me. Memorialize this moment. Tell the story of who I am and who you are as my people. So the biggest thing in the history of God's people up to this point 
just happen in our journey through Exodus. And, and we're tracking in this series called Captives Set Free. And, and the Hebrews, God's people, were finally, uh, they were finally let go. They were told to get out by Pharaoh and, and Egypt. And, and God instituted in Exodus chapter 12, what we looked at last week, he instituted Passover. And he said, do this to remember. And, and so for all time, up to the point to where Jesus came and lived and died, all of God's people would look back to this point, this Exodus, this Passover, as the central saving act for God's people. This is how God worked to redeem us. That's what, that's what they would look back and see. And so uh, what happened was, for hundreds of years, over 400, 430 years, God's people were, were enslaved in Egypt, and, and there were generations of captivity. And, and in one moment, uh, God ramped up in, in over years and years and years, and, and, and he called people to himself, and, and Moses, and, and he delivered his people through his mighty hand and through his mighty act. And, and in one night, he said to, to his people enslaved in Egypt, Put blood over your doors, and, and tonight I will slay the firstborn of all the Egyptians in the household, but, but you will be spared not by your blood on the doorpost, but by the fact that the blood on the doorpost lets me know that you trust me. And so, so they look back, and, and he says, celebrate this meal called Passover, and, and, and step out into some new horizons. Can you imagine those first steps to freedom, the uncertainty that they might have been feeling? Um, God is setting his people up, setting up forgetful people to remember what matters, that, that he is their God and that, that we are his and that he is the God who rescues. Remembering to celebrate helps to celebrate what matters. And I, and I would say even in what matters most. So remembering to celebrate helps to celebrate what matters. That's what we're looking at in this chapter, in chapter 13 of Exodus. And the first point, and there are only two, is this celebrations help us remember. I promise we'll get to the text in just a minute. But, but think about the things that, that we celebrate. Think about 9-11 and, and the idea of, of never forget. And so we put memorials up. Or think about birthdays that you celebrate and, and what, what we do with cake and, and, and uh, candles on a cake. And, and each of those candles represents uh, a year of life. And, and, and we celebrate death days. And, and we, we have um, holidays set aside to remember Memorial Day. And, and we go to gravesides and we remember those that were special to us. And we put flowers on the grave. Or, or think about anniversaries where we, where we celebrate the love that, that we had for, for one another. And um, some friends of mine you might know, Rick and Faye Meyer, they, uh, just a couple weeks ago, they celebrated their anniversary. And, and they got all dressed up. And, and Rick looked dapper and stunning in a tuxedo and Faye and a wedding gown and, and uh, the, the kids were there and, and, and you just imagine their kids saying, hey, hey dad, why are you doing that? Or mom, why are you dressing up and why are we taking photos? And you would imagine them getting to say, well, uh, we do this because many years ago, your mom and dad fell in love. And today we want to celebrate that love that has carried us through and, and, and God that has graciously sustained us in, in marriage and 
well, um, what was it like when you first got together and, and how did you and, and mom meet and, and just creating an opportunity to get to talk about the beauty that is that marriage. God, he doesn't put on a, a, a wedding dress or a tuxedo, but he does lead his family to celebrate so that we might remember. God leads his people to remember what matters. And, and in this section, as I said, the, the Hebrews are coming out of uh, Egypt and, and he institutes these three kind of uh, opportunities of remembrance. And the first one is Passover. But we've already talked about that. And, and the next two in, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, are um, the firstborn, the consecration of the firstborn, and, and the feast of the unleavened bread. And, and uh, so, so we're looking at this consecration of the firstborn, and it's kind of chunked up a bit funny in the text. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 13, 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 11. So read this along with me. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. All right? and, and in that declaration, we see that that's true in all of life. That, that as we give generously, we are to give of our first fruits. And, and we see that, that that is set up later on in the temple and all kinds of stuff. But, but God is laying a foundation that that he gets the primary portions. He gets all of our life. And as we give generously, we give him uh, the, the first part. So I'm skipping down to verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, that is the promised land, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that that are males shall be the lords every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb or if you will not redeem it you shall break its neck every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem and when in time to come your son ask you what does this mean you shall say to him by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, son, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt and so that that stuff the mark on on your hand or frontlets he, he's saying it shall be as common as what we might say as the back of your hand the stories of who God is and the rescue that he has put it before your your kids and your grandkids put it before yourself so that you might remember and later on as the Jews uh began to idolize tradition that they made these things called uh, phylacteries and they literally made straps and and bound up God's word and, and stuck it on their forehead um, and things of, of, of that nature and so consecration of the firstborn God says consecrate set apart as sacred it is mine the firstborn male to me and so we have to to build some context the firstborn had a spiritual responsibility uh, probably th that's difficult for us to relate with in modern culture, they would later on 
become the Levites who would be uh, essentially, or the, the Levites would sort of replace the responsibility of the firstborn, which was to be a spiritual priest for each family. And so they had leadership and they had blessing and they had birthrights and they had all kinds of things tied up into that. And so God says, he, he instructs them, sacrifice and he makes distinction between between uh, certain types of animals, but but he says sacrifice or redeem. And so what they would do is is every animal they would either sacrifice the firstborn of that, or they would redeem it. And on the thirtieth day, a male was born. They would they would um, redeem them, and it was a ceremony where where they would go to the priest and they would give the priest an offering or a gift or or, or something, and they would essentially buy back the child. It was like a symbolic sparing and a reminder that, that each of you are mine, every single one of you. But this is an opportunity to remember the way that I spared you and, and the way that I, with a strong hand, took out the firstborn of the Egyptians. In essence, it's sort of like a family dedication. Uh, in, in a little less ceremonious way, we do that as the village church. We we dedicate families and, and kids before the Lord, and, and we're just committing to set them apart, and we commit together as a church family and, and as families and as individual uh, parents to to let the church know that we're in this together to raise this child up in the ways of the Lord. And so um, in Luke chapter 2, we see that Jesus, he he was uh, kind of he went through this fir- this process as well. Uh, he was the firstborn of Mary. He was pre- presented in the temple, and what we see is that that it was an exchange for two turtle doves. And so the priest never took Jesus. It's just you give to the priest uh, an offering or a sacrifice, and and you uh, keep your child. Uh, but it's it's figurative to let us know the worth and the value of. Of what's going on. So Jesus is presented in, in what Luke says, according to the law of Moses, this one that we're reading about right now. And so it was a ceremony of, of consecration to be set apart and dedicated to the Lord. And in this, we see a, a wellspring of connections with Christ's work to us. We see uh, that that by faith, those who trust Jesus, we are made one with him. And so we are united to Christ's work. This is really, really important as we understand who we are in Christ. And, and what that means is that that Christ's consecration to the Lord is, is our consecration. And, and Christ's life, uh, his righteous life that he lived while he dwelt among us, his righteousness and his life is our life by faith. We are unified together. It means that his death, um, when he took on sin, our sin to, to uh, deal with the wrath of God and judgment of God for, for sin. It means that his death is our death, that the old man can die. And by his resurrection and by his life, it means that we can live. And, and by his victory over sin, hell, and the grave, it means that we have victory over sin, hell, and the grave. So our unification with Christ means that we see our relationship with God through the life of Jesus. In sin, we are born into the first Adam, but, but in Christ, we are redeemed. We are consecrated as the new Adam, the new and better prototype for humanity, which is Jesus. See, the Bible tells us that there are two humans who were fully 
human. And that's Adam before he sinned and he messed that up. And, and as the Bible talks about in Romans and the second Adam, and that's Jesus. And Jesus nailed it in every way. He lived perfectly before the God as a perfect human. He wasn't less human because he didn't sin or have a sin nature like ours. He was completely human. And, and you might think, well, well, Jesus, he wasn't, he wasn't fully human because he didn't have a sin nature. But the reality is he was the perfect, full human. And it's us who are less than human. And what that means is that one day when, when our uh, spirit and our body reunite, we get glorified bodies in the new heavens and the new earth and all sin is, is thrown from the east to the west. It means that then we will not be like gods. We're never told that. It means that we will be fully human living in the glory of God by our unity with the work of Jesus. So God sets up his people to remember what he did, to remember who we are and who we will be in Christ. We were ransomed in Christ. We are unified with the firstborn of God who gets all the blessings of the Father. So we get to remember the journey of the firstborn and we get to remember God's sparing grace and we get to remember the judgment of rescue and our adoption into God's family by the work of Jesus. That's pretty cool. So God leads his people to remember what matters. And the first thing was the, the consecration of the firstborn. And the second thing is the feast of unleavened bread. So there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible about unleavened leaven and all kinds of things. But this is where it begins, okay? So I want to read this, 13, 3 through 10. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from his from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, Abib, uh, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, when that happens, you shall keep this service in this month. So it gives them a time to remember, a rhythm of remembrance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. So again, as common as the back of your hand, as, as obvious as your forehead, remember and tell this story. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread helps to do that. So he says, remember when I spared you and stole you from Egypt in that one night. Remember when God brought his people out from evil and into good. And he did it with haste so much that the dough didn't have time to rise. The leaven didn't have time to rise. So, so when you made that bread to feed the multitudes, 
It wasn't prepared fully. We do that to remember that God brought us out and and to remember that night as he delivered us with haste from the hand of the Egyptians by his mighty hand. Now later on, leaven and all this bread stuff is synonymous with sin or, or it's like a pollutant or a contaminant. And, and the Bible talks about it. Jesus talks about it. I want to read one passage to help just kind of prove the point. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, it says this. And, and Paul is writing to address the way that the Corinthians were responding to uh, a man who had sinned. And he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ is, uh, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see all kinds of things that we see Christ is the Passover and that, that leaven points them back to who they were in Egypt, but the unleavened bread and and the, the bread, the life that they live without contamination, without sin, that points them to the new life that God brought them into. So the beauty and the richness of, of the Old Testament is magnified when we see the full history and Christ's work and his life is magnified when we when we dig and we see the connections that God was making all the way through his story in the Old Testament and the New. So, so celebrations, they were meant to do one thing, to help us remember. It's why we have birthday cake. It's why we, we do vow renewals and, and wear wedding dresses. It's why we, we uh, send off fireworks on, on Independence Day on, on the 4th of July in and, and this country. And what God's saying is, is it demonstrates in the normal of days the work of God. Every firstborn animal and every firstborn a male child is to be set apart for me so that you might remember what I have done in special celebratory ways, the annual feast, the things that they ate, the specific day that he tells them to eat it, that the mighty work of the hand of God might be put on display. God gives dates and he gives symbolic action and, and he points us to a reminder of his action to make it meaningful. Most of us, we're probably not Jewish. We're probably, probably not celebrating consecrations of the firstborn or unleavened bread in the way that, that this is described. But we still get to do things that remind us of what God has done and who God is. Those who are in Christ, we get to be aspiring historians seeking to unearth what God has done. When we see what he has done, we get a glimpse into who he is. That's why we tell the story. That's why we celebrate. So so I want to encourage you to reflect a bit for just a second. What celebrations are in place in your life to jog your memory, to spur your memory, to remind you of, of the things that matter most. And if you're like me, it's really easy to downplay tradition and to downplay 
memorials and uh, to downplay things of old, but do you establish rhythms and opportunities to help remember, to help tell the story, to cause intrigue from your neighbors or from the family around you or from your children to say, why do we do that? And for us to get to tell the story, or, or not even for children, but, but for those who are newly connected to, newly connected to the church or, or to your life, we get to tell the story over and over again of who God is, what he has done, what he has rescued us from, what he has rescued us to. So what traditions do you participate in? How could you be creative to make monuments of memory for for the story of God and, and maybe even creative ways to tell your story, your testimony of what God has brought you out of as a monument, as a memory to point to this great God that we serve. So we get to pray and consider creatively because that's what God has done. It's it's why we do the small things like like read the Bible daily. And maybe that's in the morning or at night. It's our, it's our daily bread. We do that to remind us of the strong hand and the mighty love that God has for us. We gather with the church regularly, weekly, so that we might sit under the word, that we might be reminded and remind one another of who this God is. And, and we even right now when we're scattered out and we're worshiping scattered abroad, we do this each time. Uh, every week at the same time so that we might come together, sit down in front of a, a TV or a screen, that we might sit under God's word together and t- to remind us of who this God is. It's why we sit under the word. It's why we sing and, and pray. It's why we celebrate ordinances and, and we celebrate baptism and and communion, annual holy days and liturgical rhythms and, and Advent and, and, and Holy Week. We, we set apart those times to tell the story and to remind us to remember and celebrate anew the stories of old. Whew. There is a second point. The second point is this. Remembering helps us celebrate. So just as celebrating helps us to remember, remembering helps us celebrate. And here's the point. There are two errors. We can miss the event and we can just not remember it at all or we can miss the meaning. But when we remember, we get to look a little deeper into why we're doing what we're doing. We get to celebrate it rightfully with, with proper hearts. If we don't know what happened, we can't know why it happened. But but going through the motions of a ceremony or of a tradition or of a holiday like a bringing to uh, a significant other, here's the flowers that, that you uh, are obliged to on Valentine's Day. That's, that's not the point, right? The ritual or tradition, that, those things are not the point. But in contrast to, to mundane and meaningless, remembering through memorial helps us see under the celebration to find out what really matters. Kim and I, my wife, uh, we spent our honeymoon in Jamaica. And we went out to go snorkeling to see what's under the surface and see fish and and living creatures under the water. And we were in the water for about three minutes when a storm came and, and it clouded the water and we couldn't see. And it started raining for um, 
for seven days. The whole time we were there, it rained more in Jamaica on our honeymoon than it had rained in Jamaica for 50 years. So every year we spend a week in the rain. I'm just kidding. We we don't we don't do that. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> because of that, uh, we tried to get a, a glass bottom boat, right? And and we tried to go out and spend some time on a glass bottom boat, but we couldn't do that either, because we couldn't uh, we couldn't see. Everything was murky. But why are glass bottom boats so cool? Well. Glass bottom boats give opportunity for glimpses of perspective. If you don't know what a glass bottom boat is, it's a boat with a glass bottom. And what it does is it kind of shields the glare and all the things that prevent us from seeing what's there. And it lets us peer into it. It's like snorkeling from the top of a boat. And so uh, glass bottom boats, they give us lenses to see and, and glimpses to see things with a different perspective. All the plants and all the fish... They're there the whole time. We just can't see them. So now we get to see what was there all along. Celebration is an opportunity to, to uh, glass bottom boat the beauty of what's there, what has been all along, but it's hidden. We can't see it otherwise. Remembering helps us celebrate what might already be in front of us or, or what might have already been, but it helps us get to the heart of the matter. We don't worship celebration. Right? That's when tradition derails. And that's when the church many, many times over has derailed and, and missed the boat entirely. We remember to show us why we celebrate to begin with. And and just think if if you uh, you pulled off the perfect birthday party for for your toddler and all the decorations were perfect and and, and there were friends over and, and they started mess, messing with the decorations and, and you said, stop that. You know, these things, everything has to be perfect and, and, and you didn't let there be any fun. That would miss the point. It's not the celebration. It's, it's what the celebration is about. And in and, and that birthday party, it would be celebrating that, that child and, and his friends and his, his life or, or her life and, and what she brings to those around her and, and the life that she's lived that's why we'd celebrate, not to celebrate the party itself. Traditions are reminders with glass bottoms. They help us see under the surface. Idolizing daily Bible reading, that isn't the win. Getting angry when a kid distracts you from, from reading the Bible and, uh, leave me alone, I'm trying to spend time with God, or, or when you're raising your hands in worship and and a kid distracts you, uh, I, I'm worshiping God. I've, I've seen that. I've seen that a lot, right? I, I'm worshiping God. Leave me alone. No, 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 no. That's an opportunity to delight in God and also to, to speak to the kid, all right? To, to invite them into what you're doing. Eating bread and wine, that isn't the win. Celebrating communion like, like we do when the church is gathered, that's not the win. A weekly family meal, that isn't the win. A champagne toast uh, when the last team loses, that's not the win. A weekly worship gathering at the 210 or on your couch, that's not the win. An Advent calendar or a Holy Week calendar, that's not the win. All those things stoke our hearts 
toward curiosity and remembrance of what actually matters underneath and behind all of those things. Remembering to celebrate helps to celebrate what matters. I want to begin to close out uh, like this. You probably heard the story of Hansel and Gretel. Man, I read the summary of that today just as a refresher, and that is a terrible tale. There's all kinds of uh, messed up stuff in that story. But, But the highlights are these kids leave the house, and, and they find this witch in the woods, and at some point, they put breadcrumbs down to help them find their way back. Now, I'm pretty sure what happens in the story are, are birds come along, and they eat those breadcrumbs, and that's no good, right? And, and uh, I won't spoil it for you, what actually happens, but, but um, in God's grace, He knows us well enough to set us up to remember and celebrate what matters most. God has rescued his people. And when we forget, we let the birds eat the breadcrumbs of history, causing us to to drift from our roots when our hearts are captivated, when our hearts are transformed by by captivation and, and enticement. We remember God's rescue of the Hebrews. It sets their heart to know God. It sets our heart to know the God who rescues. And today, in in 2020, we're talking about what God did to a group of, of Hebrews in Egypt thousands of years ago. And as we look at Christ's work to free us from sin and death to his righteousness and his life, life in him, all of our celebrations get to be transformed from stale traditions to meaningful breadcrumbs which lead us home. Man, I am all about mementos and and creative coming-of-age traditions. A friend of mine, he, he takes his kids out of school every year to go to Red's opening day celebrations. And and you might say, oh, that's a bad parent. Or you might say, man, those kids are going to remember. They're going to care about the Reds. How about that? Uh, Because they're going to know that that's important to their dad so much that they would get to miss school on those days. And and we, we should, as God's people, be the best at celebrating, the best at celebrating life, the best at celebrating friendships and, and momental, uh, mom, momentous occasions. There's a guy, uh, I couldn't find the quote, but, but he said something like, uh, man, if we teach you know, uh, our son to hit a curveball and we, we fail to teach him the gospel, then, then we fail. Look, teach your sons and daughters how to hit a curveball. But if we're not teaching them about the things that matter most, about the God who saves and invites us into his family, man, we fail. So with the days and distractions, uh, with, with the days distractions and, and generations in mind, are you more concerned with, with passing down your, your varsity jacket or your class ring or a family heirloom? All those things are great. But are you more concerned with those things or, or passing down a tattered Bible that showed you the way home? 
and traditions that lead hearts back home to our great God. When we remember what happened, we can actually joyfully celebrate in a way that lets our hearts latch on to the God who provides, who rescues, who who delivers us from evil to good with him. God, in in a sweet parent-like manner, he is helping us help ourselves to recapture the meaning behind the act. And so I want us as the Village Church to be a people who remembers well. I want us to be historians who memorialize and celebrate and and have champagne toasts and and put on wedding dresses uh, and we celebrate small milestones of, of family and life and even more so the greater things that matter most. Christ and Him crucified, raised, ascended, and waiting to call us home. Our God is a God of rescue, and in Christ we are His. Remembering to celebrate helps to celebrate what matters. And so would you join us in continuing to reflect and repent and respond as we sing together?